welcome into the SBI podcast. This is the second week of the podcast. We have survived uh, the cancellation of the show by the networks. I am Garrett Cleverly. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Ivis Galarsep. How are you doing today, Ivis? I'm doing pretty well. I'm a little cold, and I think I'm going to have to start heading out to Arizona pretty soon because it's the winter's killing ca- Oh, my gosh, dude. I was watching Real Salt Lake practice today. I was watching the Revolution practice today. It was like 70 degrees, sunny, not a cloud in the sky. I was working on my tan. It's If you're on the fence about coming out to Arizona for spring training, Major League Soccer, you need to come out here. Ivis, you need to come out here, man. You need to work on your tan. I want to, man. I got a little bit of a tan down at the Combine in Florida, and I think I lost it. I lost it on the plane ride back, actually. <laughs> that, is, that is too funny. Um, Ivis, the MLS draft was only a couple days ago, but for some reason it feels like almost months ago. Um, not that you've had time to, to really think about the draft and analyze all the picks and where everyone has gone. You know, now, now what are your thoughts overall on the draft? Well, what's funny is uh, the the draft is only five, like five days ago, but we've already had another draft. We had a supplemental draft today, and that, that's already become the new hot topic. But as far as the regular draft, I think for me the three winners were Toronto FC, Colorado, and Houston. I think I, I said that last week that those for me stood out. And, you know, upon further review, I, I, I'm going to stand by those three as being the big winners. Yeah, and uh, what we're going to do uh, in today's show is uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Americans uh, in Europe, and then we're going to welcome in uh, Will Bruin, Ford for the Houston Dynamo, making noise in the U.S. Men's National Team camp. Surprising, Ivis. It's it's a, it's a close practice, yet everyone seems to know what's going on. Right. Well, uh, you know, you can't really have a close practice when the fields over at Home Depot Center are wide open and, and they have chain link fences. So, you know, there, there there were a few people, a few observers who were able to take in the action and, and pass along the info. I don't know how happy Jurgen Klinsmann will be about that, but you know, the public <clears throat> they need their info. <laughs> yes, they always they always need their info, and then. And then and then after we're done talking to Will Bruin, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, MLS supplemental draft, and we're going to talk about uh, some of the latest news going on in the MLS. But let's now turn our attention to the Americans in Europe. Uh, actually, an American not in Europe yet, because as Daniel Robertson reported on Twitter that he saw Breck Shea with his own two eyes at FC Dallas practice is now turning into be um, another uh, MLS guy going to a Stoke City issue. Ivis, I, I know you've been watching this from the very beginning. What What is going on with all this? Well, that's a good question. You know, I, I don't know if anyone's got a complete story on on the on the details that are going down right now. There were a few reports out of out of England that that stated that MLS was holding up a deal and that Stoke City and FC Dallas had agreed to a transfer fee, but MLS stepped in. That, that's the word that people are kind of running with based on those two reports. But, you know, the sense that I get is that there is a lot that still hasn't been unveiled and revealed as far as the process. And, and I would say, as far as I know, the deal is not dead. I know some people have some questions about that. And today, apparently, Shellis Heidman came out and said that Breck Shea is 10 days away from, from being able to train with, um, you know, as he recovers from, from foot surgery. So that pretty much rules out any chance for a, a training stint or trial with Stoke. So, Things are up in the air right now, but based on what I've heard and the people that I've talked to, the deal is not dead based on that. So I think people need to stay tuned to see what happens next. You know, I find it interesting, and maybe it's because you know more about this situation than I do, but when MLS steps in, and I know they obviously want to get the most money for their player, and letting a guy like Breck Shea leave, I mean, he's a very marketable guy. You see him in a bunch of commercials. Um, I mean, if he leaves, there's really, there's really maybe not as as 
in-demand young Americans playing in the MLS. I mean, do you think it's fair for MLS to continue to jump in and, and, and hold up these deals? You know, we saw this with Jeff Cameron, and now, I mean, with Shea. I mean, is this just an issue with Stoke City, or, or is this an issue with, with MLS? I mean, wh- wh- where's the point to blame on all this? Well, I mean, honestly, I think when it comes down to it, you know, the league owns the, the player contracts, and so they they have that right to step in if they feel it's necessary. And, uh, you know, in, in the case with Jeff Cameron, it, it was really a case of MLS feeling like they could negotiate a better deal. And I think Houston Houston was in a situation where they needed a deal to happen. I don't know if people realized it or not that, you know, they needed to sell Jeff Cameron because they already had the dominoes in line to, to make a bunch of moves to set their team up. And, and their, their plan all along was to sell Jeff Cameron. And to use those resources, so they 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 were under a lot more pressure than MLS was, and I think MLS officials they they've been through this, they've done these deals, they know the process. So I think they in that case they stepped in to try to get a better deal, and at the end of the day they did. They they got more money for MLS for Jeff Cameron. As far as the Breck Shea situation goes, as I said before, I think there's a lot that has that's still yet to be revealed on this situation. Uh, what, what what I would say to people is if, what what has to be considered is. Is the situation is the relationship between Breck Shea and FC Dallas a healthy one right now? And I don't know if that's the case. And if you have a situation where FC Dallas is a little eager to part ways with Breck Shea, maybe they're, they'd be a little more willing to sell him at a lower price than maybe MLS feels is, is, is worthy. So I think that could be a situation in this case is that FC Dallas might be a bit more willing to part with him. So they're, they're settling for a deal that MLS feels just isn't, isn't what he's worth. And so... I don't know if anyone should jump on MLS on that because, you know, as I said before, they, they've, they've done these deals. They've been through this before. And, and, and you know, more often than not, they, they do get a pretty good deal for the players that they, that they sell. And yeah, and usually at the end of the day, as we saw with Jeff Cameron, it all works out uh, for everyone and, and everyone's happy and we all move forward. And uh, speaking of the guys who are now uh, currently in Europe, Clint Dempsey uh, once again saved the day. Uh, for the Hotspurs, equalizer late. I thought he had a, a, a pretty so-so game. I, I would say it was pretty good. I mean, he missed that wide-open shot earlier in the game. Um, he should have put that to the left of the net instead of right at De Gea. Um, however, though, he made up for it. He, he scored that goal, and it's it's good to see. I mean, I think it's comforting, Ivis, for U.S. men's national team fans that Dempsey is now you know uh, uh, starting to 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 gel with his new team. Well, that's the thing. I don't, I don't. I think people have lost sight of the fact that you know he didn't have a preseason with the team, with Tottenham because of the whole transfer ordeal with Fulham and him, him getting out of Fulham. And I think what we're seeing now is him really starting to find his comfort zone. And and as we see now with the new year, he's he's got four goals in four games, and we're really starting to see the Clint Dempsey that that people are are, are accustomed to seeing. And if you look at his career, he's been a second half player uh, through his career, even with Fulham, and 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 I think he's do he's in for a big for a big season. And I know some people have kind of looked at his year with Tottenham to date and thought maybe it's disappointing, maybe it's a it ended up it was a bad move for him. But you know I, I don't know if you can go that far. I mean at the end of the day, Tottenham is a much better team than Fulham, a much deeper team. They, they, the talent on their on their squad is just deeper, so it's obviously going to be tough for him to get regular playing time, but. You know, I don't. I don't think you can just look at the move and say, "Oh, it's a failure." He's not playing ninety minutes every single week. That's just not how it goes when you play for a team like Tottenham. So, I think he's done pretty well considering that. I think he, now he's really taken full advantage of the opportunities that Andres Villas-Boas has given him. And, and I'm, I think second half he's gonna he's in for a big second half. Yeah, and I mean last year he had twenty three uh, goals in all competitions. This year he has seven. I think going in, if, if someone said that Dempsey's gonna go. 
to Tottenham, and he's going to get around 15. I think everyone would have been happy with that. Well, I, I think people need to realize that last year was a dream year in all regards. I mean, he just – everything that could go right went right. And, you know, I, I don't think people should assume or expect him to put up 20 goals a season. I mean, he's not – that's not his role in Tottenham. He's more, he's more of a creator. He's playing in midfield. So, you know, he's not going to score as many goals as he scored at form. But what he can do is contribute in other ways. He can set up teammates. He can put in the work in midfield. And I think that's what V.S. Boas likes from him is the work that he does and the ground that he covers. And, and you know, he, he's still going to have, I, I guarantee you, he's still going to have some hiccups. He's going to have some battles for starting time. There's going to be games when he doesn't play. And I think people need to slow down pressing the panic button and just realize it comes with the territory when you're on a team like Tottenham with the talent that they have. They have they have, you know, they have players on their bench who would be the star of Fulham. I mean, that, that's it's just a new team. It's a different team, and he, I think he's doing pretty well considering. Yeah, and with uh, Adebayor gone with the in the Africa Cup of Nations, I, I think I read somewhere that he'll be missing four games. So Dempsey has has a chance to make his mark. Well, he's made his mark, but make even more of an impact in those four games. And when you mentioned a guy who's having a dream season, Josie Altidore, I mean, he. I mean, there's nothing to say about him. He's killing it. Hat trick again this weekend. I mean, Ivis. When is he going to move? Oh, he's he's gone this summer. I mean, I, this I, summer. I, he's not going to. They're not going to sell him now. I th- I think they they want to have him for the second half of the season. They're they're not completely out of out of danger there at the bottom of the of the Eredivisie standings. But I think this summer he's going to fetch a record setting fee. I mean, I would put money on him breaking the American transfer record, which I think he actually holds uh, from his move to Villarreal from the Red Bulls. Uh, which was $10 million. So I think that, for me, he's going to shatter that because he just keeps on scoring goals. And, and say what you want. You know, I know some people looked at the hat trick and said, oh, you know, they were easy goals. They were they were tap-ins. They were close-range Yeah, but he's, he you scored. What? What? He scored. Right. Whatever it is, he's putting himself in position. And, and some of those goals are not as easy as some people want to say. He's putting in goals. He's gaining confidence. And it's a snowball effect. And I tell you what, I – I really see him having a big season, a big year in in World Cup qualifying. I mean, and I know U.S. fans; that's all they ever say when Josie Altidore scores goals is, "Ah, oh, he doesn't do it for a national team." I tell you what, if the national team gets its act together as far as the midfield and the players around him, I think he can put in a big a big qualifying campaign, and I think he's going to do it. Yes, and uh, if anyone wants to know, uh, AZ has um, twenty one points in nineteen games played. Not not the best season uh, possible. Uh, for him, and you're right, they're going to have to hang on to him to to because when you look at it, I mean, they they can still drop uh, even lower, or they could even go up even higher, uh, depending on a couple games here or there. They're they're still in a position where they're, where they're not totally settled, you know, just that mid table. A lot could happen. Um, and 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 another move that happened was Maurice Adu. He finally uh, he's able to leave Stoke City, uh, receive some playing time. First game right off the bat. Uh, Good for him because there was a time when I think all of us were kind of going, man, is he even going to be considered for the U.S. men's national team anymore? Well, I think the fact that he came in right away and played his first game uh, shows that, you know, versus sport plans on using him. And um, I'm not sure if people remember, but Josie Altidore, you know, he had a stint there, and I think it helped him going to Turkey and playing some games and kind of being exposed to that environment. I think it helped his confidence. And I think from Reese Adu, he just had to get out of Stoke, you know, because I think at the end of the day, if you're not even making the bench, if you're not even yeah. dressing for games, it's time you have to go somewhere. If you're going to be an international player, a national team player, you can't be in that situation. And so, so the fact that he was able to get that pull, that move off, that loan move was huge for him because I think he still has a role to play for Jurgen Klinsmann. His versatility, I think, is going to be key, and he's someone who gives you some depth at center back and also in defensive midfield. So, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I think he's going to be in that mix and qualify. And, and when you look at the center back position right now for the U.S. men's national team, uh, it's fairly young. If you, if you look at the two guys who might be starting, I mean, that could be Cameron and Gonzalez. And, and not to say that they're young, but experience-wise, they're young. And, and a guy like Adu could be vital, like what you said, especially with the Hex, having him in certain games in the Central American countries to, to step in and, and to provide that, that leadership and, and, and just the, the experience of been there, done that before type of thing. Absolutely. I mean, he he was the he was a starter against Mexico in the yep. win at Azteca, and I mean he and at that time he wasn't playing either. He was still sorting out his his next move. So he looked good I mean, in I that game. He, absolutely. I think I think he has shown he showed in that game that he's someone who, even if he's not playing regularly, he can still step in and and play a part. And and as you say, the center back position is still very unsettled. You know, Omar Gonzalez and Matt Beasler are in that conversation uh, to to kind of pick up the mantle next to uh, next to um, Jeff Cameron. And then Carlos Bocanegra's situation is a little unsettled at, at, in Spain, so you don't know what where he's going to be come next month. But, you know, I, I'd say that right now Maurice Adu is someone who, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann needs to play, needs to have playing for his club team. Yes, that, that is true. And uh, let's, uh, let's uh, move on now. Let's welcome in Will Bruin. He is a forward for the Houston Dynamo. He is now with the U.S. Men's National Team Camp in California. Will, how are you doing today? Good. How you doing? We are doing excellent. Uh, first stint with the U.S. Men's National Team Camp. Uh, January camp has always been a launching pad for other MLS players to emerge on the U.S. Men's National Team radar. Did that add any extra pressure going on g- going into camp for you at all? Uh, no, not really. Honestly, it's um, it's obviously my my first camp, so I just look at it as an opportunity to go out and play, and hopefully, I could uh, can play well enough to. Uh, have you're going to make some decisions down the road. Now, Will, uh, you, you've uh, you had your first uh, action on the field uh, t- earlier today in a closed-door scrimmage against Club Tijuana. And from what I hear, you yeah. you scored two goals today, and it sounds like you did pretty well. Could you just talk about, uh, talk about the game and talk about how you, you think you're doing in camp? Oh, yeah, yeah. I played the, uh, the second half, so the guys in the first half kind of tired them out a little bit, so it made it easier for, for us. But, um, no, it was, it was good to get out and – play some different competition as opposed to just playing everybody in the camp and inner squad and stuff. So it was fun to get a run, kind of get on the same page with some guys and uh, try to develop a chemistry before we are uh, leading up to this game versus Canada. And it's amazing. For, for, for a close practice, everyone seems to know what was going on almost immediately when you scored those goals. Now, now being in camp, you have you know Tally's in camp with you and, and Brad's in camp. It, does it help with the with the transition of, of being with guys that you're familiar with, being on the field and adjusting to camp? Um, yeah, definitely. It's definitely helped ease uh, ease the the way and what to expect and stuff with uh, Brad and Tally both here. It um, makes it easier on me. I mean, uh, having them here is kind of somebody I can look to and. Um, they kind of tell me what what to expect and stuff, but um, I mean, so far it's been good, and um, it's been fun. Now, Will, a, a lot has uh, changed. A lot has happened for you in the past year, year and a half. <clears throat> From your rookie year, you had a really solid rookie year, and then this has been your breakout yeah. season. Can you just talk about what well, what this year's been like, and uh, what what kind of changed for you, say from a year ago when you know you were on the bench for Houston in the U twenty three camp, and here you are now a year later tearing up MLS and you're in a U.S. national team camp? Yeah, um, my rookie year was kind of a, a really big learning experience for me, just how to be a professional, how to how to manage your body for a whole season, how to face adversity, and um, having your ups and downs. And I think I learned a lot through uh, through the first year, 
and it made me it made me for the better coming into my sophomore campaign. And um, I think I think it definitely helped along. And there's still a lot that I need to need to work on. I'm still uh, a project. Well, I like to think I'm still a project, and I can still uh, do better than than where I'm at now. But um, I mean, I'm kind of just taking it as it goes. I mean, I'm not putting too much emphasis or pressure on myself to perform. I'm just uh, taking it all in stride right now. Well, when you were a rookie, you guys went to the MLS final, lost the Galaxy again this year. Things obviously didn't go the way for you guys, lost again to the Galaxy. Was the message from Dominic Kinnear when he spoke to you guys after both losses, what was the message that he told you guys to help go into the offseason and prepare for the new season? Did that message change at all? And, and what did he exactly tell you guys? No, I remember um, I didn't play in the in the finals my first year. And... Um, that was disappointing, but it also was motivation. So um, that made me want to get back at at it going into the second year. And and after we lost in the finals, um, I mean, it wasn't as, as bad as he, he didn't really yell at us or anything. He just said he was proud of us for for the great season that we had and um, and how how we carried ourselves and the long like the hard all the games consecutive in the playoffs and that. We had it for 60 minutes, and unfortunately, um, we gave up some PKs, and, and it didn't go our way. But overall, the vibe he got was it was very—he was proud of us for the year, and I think we're um, excited to get going for this year. Now, Will, uh, we we just had the MLS draft uh, last week, and uh, your, your team, the Dynamo, picked up a forward uh, who slipped a bit. Jason Johnson, one of the more talented forwards in the draft. Uh, can, can you take me back a little two years ago and when you kind of went through that process? Obviously, you had a little bit of a rough time in the combine and, and maybe you went a little later than people would have thought in the draft. Can, can you remember that experience, what that was like just going through that? Yeah, I remember I uh, I came into the combine late. I literally got off the plane in the morning and went straight to, uh, to the game and played my first game there. And, um, I mean, it was it was – Difficult adjusting. Combine's always tough. You gotta you get a whole bunch of players you never really played with together, and you just gotta mesh and play some games real quick and try to show what you can do. But also the combine, you kind of want to keep it simple. You don't want to try to do too much. You obviously want to show your uh, your skill set. But um, I mean, if you keep it simple, I think coaches notice that. And my like I said, my rookie year was a was a big learning curve, just day in and day out of practice. I think Eddie Robinson was one of the toughest guys ever my rookie year playing against every day at practice because he just brought it every day and he's one of those guys you wanted on your team at training as opposed to have to go against and having to go against him every day at training I mean has really helped me evolve into the player that I am right now and hopefully he can be better later uh, can you remember that that day, that draft day? Because you you seemed to slip down a bit. Did you, were you worried at all about where you might go? And and once you were picked, I mean, how how excited were you to to go to the Dynamo for a coach like Dom Kinnear, who's one of the best in the league? Yeah, that day was a roller coaster. I mean, um, I was my agent was telling me, look, this team's interested in you here. This team's interested in you and you there. And um, it was just a roller coaster. Things, a bunch of things happened. A bunch of uh, different trades go down but um it was a fun day it was an exciting day and um it's the day that i'll definitely remember and then i once i got drafted by houston i was really excited and i think i was drafted into a good situation and a good environment which is really important and um that's kind of helped me helped me through my early years 
when, when you talk about your early years, Will, in your rookie season, um, between uh, your rookie season and last season, you played seven more games, which doesn't seem that much, but when you add in the minutes, you had a 1,000 more minutes played. Did that help contribute to the amount of goals that you scored, or was there anything else that you did differently to prepare for last season than you did your rookie season? Um, yeah, last season I think I came in. I came in knowing that I would have a that I had the chance to have a bigger role on the team as opposed to my rookie year. I mean, rookie year you come in not knowing what to expect, and I kind of got thrown into it right off the bat, and I was kind of learn on the fly, learn as you go. And um, I mean, that really helped me coming into my my second year, know kind of knowing what to expect in preseason, what to expect in practices, what to expect in games, kind of know who you're playing on the team because as a rookie obviously you watch the game so you don't pay attention until you actually play against all the center backs and um, I mean I think that that year has really like propelled me to have that that better sophomore year. Now, now Will you're heading into 2013 and <clears throat> it's shaping up to be a pretty big year for you both with the Dynamo you know adding players like Omar Cummings and Jason Johnson to the attack and now with the national team and, and having your chances uh there with Jurgen Klinsmann, can, can you just talk about how excited are you about this year? What 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 can we expect from you this year to uh, to build on, say from last year, which was your breakout season? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for this year. I think we have we brought our whole core back pretty much with a few departures from uh, from last year, and we just added more more depth. Also, which is even better. I mean, you want depth for everyday training, for competition, for spots, so people don't get comfortable. And I think um, that's going to be a really big, big point for us. And we're going to have a lot more games with Concacaf and stuff. So I think having a deep squad is going to be going to be huge, just to push everybody at training. But there'll be a lot of minutes to go around for people. So uh, we're we're excited to get the season going. Obviously, the guys started camp on Monday. I'm excited to join back up with them as uh, as soon as I can and get this season rolling. And hopefully, I like to score more goals than I did in the previous year. So. Nice. Nice. As far as the national team goes, you've been in camp for a while now with uh, uh, out there in California. Who's impressed you? I mean, obviously you've seen these guys play. You've played against them in MLS. But who, who's impressed yeah. you in camp? Um, I think Alfredo Morales is a, is a really good player. I think he's, he's caught my eye. Um, obviously, I haven't known too much about him. never met him before the camp. But I think he's a very good, hard-nosed, technical player. And um, obviously, Omar is a Big center back, big strong center back, good, good on the ball. But um, I think a lot of guys are, are playing well, and that's the thing. Everybody's looking to impress. Nobody's a lock for anything pretty much at the scan, so everybody's going going uh, for to try to get minutes, and that makes the intensity and um, the feel at practice even better. Now, one last one for you, uh, Will. When it comes to forwards, obviously confidence is – is something that, that guys always talk about, it, it, how much how, how important yeah. confidence is to you finishing and finding the net. Someone like Josie Altador, you know, he talk, you know, he's obviously going through a great run with his club team. How, how, can you talk about your confidence level right now? And, and I mean, what, what's different, right? I mean, do you feel it right now? Like you just, you could just the net's for you right now? Like you just have that kind of swagger going into this year? Yeah, as a forward, you, I mean, me also, I mean, you play on confidence. I mean, but I think that's, uh, that's something that I, I think that's probably the main thing I've learned after my my rookie year. I keep going back to that year as being such a big uh, learning curve, and it was because I scored three of my five goals in one game, and I thought, I'm like, oh, man, look at this. And then I got too high on something that 
I mean, I shouldn't have. And I think it's important for a striker to say level-headed, yeah, you want to play on confidence, but if you miss a chance, you want to forget about it because if you dwell on it, you're going to be thinking about that chance when your next chance comes along and you'll screw that one up. So it's um, it's a double-edged sword there. Will, your uh, your goal celebrations are, are quite hilarious with the dancing bear routine. Where where did that come from? Oh, those are, those, those are quite embarrassing. Um, uh, yeah, my after that, that game, I... My rookie year, we were doing finishing drills, and Dom chips them up, and you have to settle it with wherever the ball is. And I settled one on my chest, and then you hit it on the second touch. And my arms were, like, flailing out and, like, kind of bent down. And I was like, you look like a dancing bear. And this was uh, the week of week of training before we had that D.C. game where I scored uh, three goals in that game my rookie year. And I was talking to Brian Ching before the game. He's like, if one of us scores, or if you score, you got to do a dancing bear. And I didn't know what it was or what it consisted of. It kind of just happened. <laughs> but uh, but I've got a lot of a lot of trouble and flack for that on um, in the locker room on replays and stuff. So <laughs> have you thought of like changing it up and doing a different animal? <laughs> um, not too much yet. Kind of this year was more just reactions, more than anything. But. Um, we were talking actually tonight at dinner, and Tally was saying, "Does Tally fall in Brad Davis for big hunters?" And we were saying, "If Brad, if Brad scores, that Tally will act like a duck, and I'll act like a bear, and they'll just shoot us both." <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, th- there you go, Houston Dynamo fans. Something to uh, to look forward to as the uh, season starts. Will, thank you so much for joining us today. Everyone can follow Will on Twitter at W Bruin. Will, good luck with the rest of camp, and good luck with the season. All right. All right, thank you very much. Good talk to you guys. Houston Dynamo fans have to be so excited right now for Will Bruin and, and the potential that he has in the growth that he has had over the last couple years. Houston, they're going to be a tough team to deal with for, for a couple years to come now. Right. I mean, they, they came so close to winning the title, and, and now when you think about the fact that they've added Omar Cummings and a, a rookie who I think is going to do some big things in Jason Johnson. I mean, it's scary to think what that attack's going to look like. And, you know, they've always been known as a bit of a grinder defensive type team, but I think they're going to really put up some goals in 2013. Yeah, that, that could change uh, big time. Okay, as we, as we said uh, in the beginning of the show, we're now going to transition, talk a little bit about the MLS and, and all the news going on there. Uh, the biggest news going on was the supplemental draft. Uh, you know, some people might be kind of confused uh, with how that works and, and how clubs are involved in it, the bidding process, and, and just kind of the rules in general. I mean, Ivis, you are the Mel Kuyper of the draft. You know, break it down for us. You know, explain to us what is the supplemental draft and, and what happened in it today. I'm well, sorry, yesterday. Simple. Yesterday, excuse me. Well, it's pretty simple, really. The uh, the supplemental draft is pretty much just a carryover of the regular draft. Um, uh, this year, the, the MLS draft was only two rounds, which is the shortest it's ever been. And, and teams pretty much, you know, had five days to kind of regroup and look at what was left. And, and they came out today, uh, they came out on Tuesday and just uh, rattled off a four-round draft in what seemed like 30 minutes. Uh, and there was actually quite a bit of talent on the board there. And, and, and I thought some teams did extremely well for themselves today. You know, and one of the things that, that um, is kind of going around right now is, is the fact how the homegrown talent is really starting to affect the draft and, and how the draft – 10 years from now might not be as important, but still a tool to find maybe a a key player here or there type of thing. But, 
you know, the M- MLS is changing, and it's 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 going to be interesting to see, Ivis, how what's going to happen ten years from now w- with the draft, with the supplemental draft, because the academies are starting to form. And let me tell you, I mean, I watch these boys down at my job all the time. I mean, these kids are good. These kids are unbelievable at 15, 16 years old. I mean, I can only imagine what these 15-year-old kids are going to be like 10 years from now. I mean, Ivis, you're probably going to be 80 at that point. I mean, you're going to be like a dinosaur <laughs> to these people. Well, first things first, got to start uh, worrying about you watching these boys. But uh, on another Oh, my God. I'm, I'm taking pictures for my job. Relax. <laughs> all right. What, what I would say is, you know, I, I, people talk about it all the time, about how you know the academies are going to uh, make the the draft kind of kind of irrelevant, and, and and you know what that day could come, but that day isn't here, and that day isn't close. The academies are starting to put out some talent, and we are starting to see some homegrown players who who are, are quality players. But it, at the end of the day, the country is just too big uh, for 19 academies to handle all the talent, and and I think you, you're still going to have colleges play that role of developing talent. And at the end of the day, for for every one player who might be good enough coming out of high school to sign with an MLS team, you have his teammates who are maybe just a notch below who need to continue to develop but who can't sign deals yet in mm-hmm. MLS. And what do they do? They go to college. And, and I think that's why you're still going to see college play that role at least for the next five to ten years of you know having the draft be a place where teams can find talent. And uh, I think as you saw this year, there wasn't the superstar talent, the top-end guys, the, the really exciting can't miss players uh, that people could project on the national team. I don't think there were that as many or that many this year in the draft. But what we had this year in the draft, in the main draft, was was players who teams felt could make their rosters and who could eventually develop into starters. And I think, you know, most coaches that I talked to felt that there were twenty to thirty players in this draft who who they could see making teams and playing minutes uh, in in year one. And I think that's more than than maybe there has ever been. So from that standpoint, the draft is still pretty healthy still pretty important but you know as you say over time the elite players are going to start going coming more and more through the academy mm-hmm. um and let's uh move over to the uh, hot mess that it is of the new york red bulls uh claudio Reina um was rumored to be taking the assistant uh coaching job and now suzo is not going to be the head coach ivis that's in your backyard what's going on up there it's a bit of a mess and uh you know for red bulls fans that have been through so many years of of disappointments, it's oh. got to be frustrating. Oh wait, 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 wait! Hold on, hold on. I, I gotta say something, and, and I'm gonna probably get killed for this by by Red Bull, but Red Bull fans. But I had to ask you this: If the Red Bulls come down and they win the Desert Diamond Cup, does that count as a trophy? Uh, it, I tell you what, it wouldn't be their first trophy of that kind. They've actually won quite a few. They won the La Manga. Oh, that's right. They won the one in Arsenal. They, and they won the Emirates Cup. Yeah, that's so, right. You know, they, you know, they 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 have the biggest trophy case when it comes to. They know what they are. The uh, you know they are the Real Madrid, Barcelona. Well, can, let's let's York, add to so it. Uh, I am giving uh, my full support to the New York Red Bulls to win the Desert Diamond Cup so they can get another trophy. That that, that is my take on it. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to rattle off right now the the, the the trophies that they have. They have an Eastern Division trophy. They have a Western Conference trophy. They have a La Manga trophy, and they have an Emirates Cup. So, you know what? That's pretty impressive. You know what? Okay, it's not really impressive. <laughs> can't even Desert lie. Diamond Cup 2013, New York Red Bulls. Everyone jump on that bandwagon with me. I'm starting it right now. I'll tell you what. Getting back to these Red Bulls, the funny, <laughs> the funny thing is they've actually had a really good offseason as far as building the team. The front office, the, the people that they do have in place, have done a good job of building the team, signing players, making trades. I thought they did well in the regular draft and the supplemental draft. 
but they don't have a coach. And it's training camp, and they do not have a head coach, which for me, as far as I know, it's, the, it's a first in MLS, and it might be a first in, in, in pro, American pro sports in recent memory that a team still doesn't have its head coach hired, in, and training camp has begun. And it's embarrassing, really. But it seems like everything that could go wrong in this process has gone wrong. There was there, there seemed like to be a lot of butting heads about the about the selection. You know, Gary uh, Gary McAllister was a, considered the front runner at one point, but you know he wasn't everyone's pick. Then they go to Paulo Souza, who they thought they had lined up, and my sources told me he had agreed to take the job. All they needed then was to hire Claudio Reyna as his assistant. Claudio Reyna, which would have been a great know, hire. It would have been, but you know he he took a long time to to make his decision, and at the end of the day, he decided he didn't want it. Here, here's and my that, issue, and this is the re, this is the thing, in all seriousness, of, of why if I was a Red Bulls fan, I would be seriously concerned. Right now, training camp's going on. Teams are adding players, teams are cutting players, and they're getting ready for the season. If they get a coach a week from now, or two weeks from now, or whenever they get a coach, there's no guarantee that that coach might have enough time to bring in the players that he wants, or the talent that he wants, and set up the right formation that he wants. So now, effectively, what you're doing is, let's say you had 10 managers that you could hire, right? Let's just say there's 10. I don't know how many there is, but let's just say there's 10. Now, because they've waited so long in the amount of players that are available for them to get, they now have to find a manager that can automatically now fit that system. So what does that number go down from 10 to what? Three, two, one managers that they can get. I would be very concerned if I was a Red Bulls fan because now they're effectively removing any possible depth or any player movement that they can have going into the season. Season, I mean, what do you, you don't even know what could happen with the Red Bull going into the season. Are they going to be good? Are they going to be bad? No one knows yet. Okay, you have it a little, you have it a little mixed up uh, with, as far as the Red Bulls because basically what it comes down to it, the team is being built and the coach they bring in has to coach the team that he adopts. No coach is coming in now and bringing in his players, bringing in his signings. The team's going to be built. It's pretty much, the, the, you know, the, 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 meal's been, the meal's been prepared. Now he has to put it on the plate and, put it on, and, and, and serve it. I mean, that, well, that's, that's really what I'm what saying. But if, but if they had a coach a week ago or two weeks ago, I mean, he could have started making calls, uh, putting out feelers for this player, for that player, and stuff like that. that that's, that's, just, that's, that's how I'm looking at it. Is that right. is well, that they, that, they, was, that was never the plan exactly? Never, but I'm just I saying mean, they, that, but that they, could, that could come bite them in the back, though. Well, I think the whole process has been really backward in a way. I mean, you know, the the fact that they they along as some other teams have have done this off season, they they have decided that they don't need a coach with MLS experience, MLS ties, and, and even though the history shows us and the track record shows us, the coaches who come in with zero experience in the league don't do well, and it's just a fact. And and the fact that they you know. The fact that some that some teams have ignored that, and the Red Bulls have ignored that is is you know it's, it's definitely a cause for concern. At the very least, they've acknowledged they want an American assistant coach, someone to be the number two guy mm-hmm. who knows the league, who knows American soccer. So you'll give them the credit for that because you know some other teams like Montreal, Chivas USA, they've said you know what, so what? We're, we don't care what the history shows. We're going to hire our guys. We're going to play. We're going to you know we're we're our own different, unique type of team. Yep. And 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 if they fall on their faces, they'll have no one else to blame but themselves for ignoring history. But the Red Bulls, you know, they, they this is sad to say. This is just it's predictable. It's as much as Red Bulls fans right now are hating this process. I can't imagine any of them are surprised by this process because this stuff like this has been going on for years. Yeah, and uh, hopefully they they figure things out pretty pretty quickly here because it, it could get. Like you said, I mean, it could continue to to get just worse and worse and worse and worse. And let's continue speaking about head coaching. Uh, uh, well, before you, 
Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to add one thing as far as Red Bulls. At this point, <clears throat> like you say, with so little time now between the start of the season and the fact that they're already in training camp, uh, I think they've really painted themselves into a corner, and they, they might be better off just hiring Mike Petke as the head coach. Uh, he doesn't have head coaching experience, but what he does have is respect within the organization, respect among the players, and respect in the within the fan base. And and you know if if they wait any longer, I mean it's really going to be a disaster. And and right now he is the guy leading the team. He's the interim head coach. Mm. Uh, he's the one putting them through their paces right now. And and I think that they're not going to have much of a choice you know, before when it's all said and done. They, you know even if it's a temporary position for the year. I think at this point, unless they have someone ready to go tomorrow, they, they might have to do it. They might have to make Mike Petke the head coach. And, and you know, he's putting his time there, and, and, and I don't know if anyone would be too upset about that if he got the job. Well, this is the bed they made, and, I mean, they, they, they're they going to have to sleep in it eventually. And uh, like I said before, I was rudely interrupted by you. Uh, head coaching carousel number two, or head coaching, uh, uh, I, I guess, what would the right word be? Um, carousel. Uh, yeah. Carousel, I guess, uh, head scratcher. Um, interesting move, anything you can think of. Uh, Toronto FC, uh, Ryan Nelson has actually confirmed that he will be joining the uh, the club. I, I guess that's good news for Toronto FC fans, knowing that their manager will actually be coaching their team. Right. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of fans and a lot of you know people observers were def were, were scratching their heads at the idea that he was going to continue playing for QPR, and there was no set timetable to when he would return or when he would actually take over full-time duties as head coach of Toronto. And now we've come to learn on Tuesday that basically he will be there from February 1st on. He will be full-time head coach. He will be stepping away from from QPR. And, and I, there has to be a sense of relief there because, you know, the, the plan that they had in place, or at least the plan that they had people thinking would be in place, which was having their assistant coach who, who was who last job was as a Division three college head coach, having him be the stand-in head coach, that was that was really scary for Toronto fans. So now Ryan Nelson can start right off the bat. He'll be on the sidelines for the opener, and he can start on his head coaching career. And, and I think now Toronto FC fans can maybe breathe a sigh of relief. Look at this and look at the draft that they had, which I thought yes. was an outstanding draft. And now they have some reason to be excited and, and, and optimistic about 2013. Impressive draft. Very impressive draft of what they did. They, 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 they were in control of their own destiny in the draft, and, and they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't ruin that. Opportunity that they had, and they picked up a lot of money. They did. They did a very good job. It, it went perfectly for them. And you know what? This crazy thing. They actually came in the supplemental draft on Tuesday, and they followed up and had another big day. They actually picked up some pretty good talent in the supplemental draft. But look who their president is, though. I mean, it, it goes without saying. I mean, Kevin Payne knows what he's doing. Well, I have to say, I mean, it, the moves that he's made as far as the draft goes, you know, you have to hand it to him. They've done really well. Uh, the job's not done there, uh, as he said when he was on, uh, you know, on our show on Friday. Is that you know they have other moves lined up, other moves to make. They have to use that allocation money that they they piled up on at the draft on Thursday, and now they actually have to go sign some some players, and 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 that's going to be the next step. So, Kevin Payne's done a really good job, but you know I think it's half he, it's half done. Now he has to do the real. Well, now they have to Toronto has to take that allocation money that they got on draft day that they piled up on draft day, and they have to go sign some players. And and as Kevin Payne told us. When he was on the show on Thursday, you know they have moves, they have moves to make still, and and I think that's that's the second half of the the, the rebuilding job they have this off season, and that's really going to tell us just how successful they're going to be in 2013. Exactly. I mean, and that's also why you play the game. I mean, that that's why you don't base your results or, or what you do on a piece of paper. It's it's not how you start, it's how you finish, and that's what most, that's what everyone's going to remember the most is how you finished at the end of the season. You might have had a great off season. 
great acquisitions. But if you failed at the end of the season, that's what people are going to remember. They're not going to go back and say, oh, yeah, but January and February were, were A-plus months for us. Like It's how you finish is what the most important thing is in all of sports, not just MLS uh, in general. Ivis, though, you know, and speaking of Toronto, Ivis, you know, you, you alluded to this a little earlier. You, you were talking about Toronto FC doing very well in the supplemental draft. You know, uh, I know you're watching it today. Who are your winners? Who are your losers? What did you take away from the draft? Well, uh, first, let me uh, point out to people who, who are kind of curious about what the supplemental draft is, who might not be fully in tune on what it's about. Uh, the MLS draft was only two rounds this year, which means the, the talent the talent pool kind of carried over to the supplemental draft, which was four rounds. And, and you had some teams who I felt really cleaned up today. You know, when you talk about Toronto FC, they, they for me, had the best draft last Thursday. And they followed that up by grabbing a, you know, a player like Ashton Bennett, who for whatever reason, went from being someone who people thought would go in the first round to slipped all the way to the second round of the supplemental draft, which is essentially like the fourth round. I thought they did well for themselves. I thought the New York Red Bulls, who only had one pick in the draft, they, in the regular draft, they came in on Tuesday in the supplemental, and, and I thought they cleaned up. They, they added a handful of players who could all help. Uh, you know, you talk about Ryan Clark and, and Michael Bustamante uh, and, and also Ben Fisk and uh, Mark Cintron, the player who scored a goal against the Spanish national team. Uh, while with the Puerto Rican national team, you know these are players who who who, who could actually make the squad for the Red Bulls, and I, and I thought the Colorado Rapids were another team who you know they were one of the winners on draft day on Thursday, and they followed right back up, uh, adding adding a couple of players who definitely could make their squad. So, uh, you know, I think teams were, came into the supplemental draft of this year pretty excited about the talent that there, that was available. And I was going back and looking at the supplemental draft, even though even from last year, I mean, I mean, round one. Uh, Andy Rose received playing time with Seattle. Uh, Brian uh, Onby, he received uh, playing time with the Houston Dynamo. Um, uh, Kirk Urso, uh, uh, the player who uh, passed away with the Columbus crew, uh, he also received playing time. And, and you were telling me before that there's even other guys, some big-time names that were taken in the supplemental draft. Well, I mean, in the past, you've had you know player, a player like Jeff Laurentovitz came through there. And also Jeff Cameron, uh, he was actually the, la- the last player, if I remember correctly, he was the last player taken in the third round of the 2008 draft, which if that were this year, uh, that would have been the end of the first round of the supplemental draft. So if you look at that and you think about the talent that is, has been around later in, in drafts in years past, and then you consider the fact that there's more pro-caliber talent coming out uh, now than there was, say, five years ago, uh, there's definitely talent out there uh, that, that to be had. And, and I think you could see anywhere from a dozen to 15 or, or 20 players make rosters uh, who were drafted on Tuesday in the supplemental draft. And you're right, Ivis. Uh, I mean, the supplemental draft is very important for teams and, and that depth that they're going to need going into the season, it's, it's going to be very important. Um, it is crazy, though, when you now look at it, and I, and I, I mentioned this earlier in the show, that it, it feels seriously like like months ago that the draft happened because MLS teams have already checked in. I mean, Sporting Kansas City, I, I don't know what the other team schedules are, but since I'm a homer of Arizona sports, um, I know Sporting Kansas City is here. I know New England Evolution is here, and I know Real Salt Lake is here. I know the Galaxy, they're, they're already checked in. And LA, and, and I know, I mean, DC United's checked in. If, if you saw Nick DeLeon's hair, you would know that DC United has checked in. Um, it's it's crazy how MLS has become year round, and there there really is no break anymore. Right, there is no off season anymore, and it's funny. Only a couple of years ago, when Jurgen Klinsmann was talking about how the MLS off season was too long, and you know, you, you, we all thought he was crazy. See, what's that? We all thought he was crazy. We're just like, what are you talking about? 
<laughs> right. Well, I mean, he had a point, and I think MLS, uh, you know, they they've moved toward that direction. I don't think they're I don't think they're heading in that direction because of him, but I think they're heading direction just because the the size of the league and the number of games, and 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 they're they're having to stretch the year out uh, further and further. And, it'll, and next year it's going to be, and at the end of this year it's going to be even crazier because MLS Cup will be a week later, which means the the time off. The time between the MLS Cup final and the MLS Combine is going to be even shorter. I mean, you're talking less than a month for 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 coaches for players to off, and uh, it, it's great because basically there's no off season. There's always something to talk about, and we're less than six weeks away from the start of the 2013 season, and that's crazy. Well, the thing the thing that's really crazy is um this. This Friday is some of the first preseason games. New England is taking on Sporting Kansas City, 11 o'clock at my work. I can't wait to watch it, but it, boom, just like that. On Friday is the, like, that might be the first uh, preseason friendly out of all Major League, and that's on Friday. Teams just checked in on Monday, just like that. The season is going to start. It's it's unbelievable. However, though, I mean, I'm not going to complain because I'm, I'm very excited about that. Well, I mean, what I, what's funny to me is I think I still have champagne from the LA Galaxy locker room on sneakers. Uh, and, and like, that's how recently the MLS Cup final was. I mean, it, it feels like it was just yeah. a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and it's crazy. And, and, and it's going to be it's interesting to see how these new coaches do. You know, guys like Caleb Porter, uh, Chellis at Chivas USA, Montreal's mm-hmm. new coach, and obviously Ryan Nelson. And, and and then whoever you know the Red Bulls have as their head coach, you know, I mean, they could end up having Monty Teo's girlfriend be the head coach because you know they don't they don't have one. So, but uh, you know, it, it, there's so much that we're going to figure out in the next couple of weeks as teams try to figure out what their squads are going to look like. Yeah, and and they're but they're not going to have much time though. But it's it's good for obviously the development of the game. It's good for the exposure of the players, and it's good that that this is America because you know the other European countries, the the African, South American. Uh, this is what they do. They they play soccer year round. It it does not end for them. I mean, we we all saw pictures of the last couple of week of of England covered in snow, but they were still out there training. Um, this is good for America. This is good for the players. It, it only helps obviously them out um, training and 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 you know being being in form uh, for most of the season rather than just sitting at home and and playing you know pickup games at the park or something like that. You know, it's it's good that they're playing with each other. Are you going to start singing "God Bless America" now? I think that I feel like that's coming on. No, I'm not going to sing that. I'm not going to sing that. I guess. No, I'm not, I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, I thought, thought you were going to drop the track. I thought, or we were going to get the Whitney Houston. Uh, you know. No, 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 no. My my voice is too under the weather. Maybe on the next show, um, you know, I'll I'll, I'll lead off the intro music by singing "God Bless America." Maybe I'll do that. We would have to. It's gonna to have to be the hip hop version. You, you know, where it's a, a hip hop only intros and outros on the SBI podcast. That is true. This is true. If anyone wants to know, Ivis chooses the uh, the intro music. I choose the outro music. Obviously, I the, the outro music is the best. I mean, we all know that. Actually, uh, he he gets the outro music because you know we figure most people will tune out by then. So hopefully, <laughs> no one's hearing his. his <laughs> outro That's pretty good, Ivis. That's pretty good. Um, as we wrap up the show, though, I mean, anything else that we missed out on? Anything else that's uh, burning at the front of your head that you want to talk about? Well, we didn't touch on it, and maybe we'll, I'm pretty sure we'll touch on it on the next show. Is obviously you have two players, uh, former U23 players, and Freddie Adu and Dilly Duca. Uh, both both players pretty much are persona non grata. Their teams want them out. The Philadelphia Union, the Columbus Crew, have, have pretty much let it be known that those players will not play for them anymore, and, and that's going to be a, a situation to watch on both those fronts and. 
I think it's safe to say neither one of those guys is going to wear the uniform for those teams ever again, and, and now we're going to find out where they're going to end up. Exactly, and like I said, I mean, if we start talking Freddie Adu, you and I can talk about that for the next 30 minutes. So, so we will save that for the next show. We'll be back again uh, with another SBI podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening. We want to thank Will Bruin for joining us uh, for Ivis Glarsep. I am Garrett Cleverly. This is the SBI podcast. Thank you for listening. It's